and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Nedarim, daf vav, page six. So our daf here on Amaralf continues the discussion from the previous daf. This back and forth that we saw between Abaya and Rava, and where the Gemara is then going to try to answer, you know, refute each one and answer, provide the defense of each one as well. So the first thing that our Amaralf does here is that we have a refutation of the opinion of Rava, uh, I'm sorry, the opinion of Abaye. Abaye said that even when you have an ambiguous statement, it can still be valid. It can still count as a neder. And the Gemara here, really for the, maybe not for the first time, but in a way that is exactly the kind of wordplay or difficult wordplay, I would say, Yerdana, that you keep talking about, that you keep promising, promising me, not quite promising, right, that it's about to come. Hare, who alai, hare ze alai. The difference in expression between um, this, it is upon me versus this is upon me, right? And at what point is that language going to be, in fact, prohibited? At what point do you end up with it being a valid neder that is going to Forbid something from the person who says it, right? Tamar damar alai hud asur avalo amar alai lo. If the person did not say alai, if he just said, hmm, it's asur, I'm not sure, as opposed to saying it's asur for me, right? Then we're going to say, well, that's the kind of ambiguous statement that is exactly the kind of thing that a buy thought would be fine, that it would in fact be binding. And in this case, the Gemara is rejecting that as as incurring or, or prov- I don't know what, binding the person to an oath. The Gemara answers and provides us with a defense now that Abaye should, meaning Abaye is not the one in the conversation. It's the Gemara representing Abaye as if, right? Amar alach Abaye. Tamad amar alai hud asur. Aval amar harehu velo amar alai harehu dehefker. Harehu tzedaka ka'amar. So Abai could say that the reason that it becomes forbidden to say in the in the event that that he said a lie is because he said a lie, a lie upon me. But if he just said it is hereby something, right? Dot dot dot, and he doesn't say upon me, then the statement is not necessarily considered a vow at all. Meaning it's not the question of when is something ambiguous and when is something not even a statement is an interesting question for a body who holds that the ambiguity does not cancel out does not automatically cancel out the vow so for example someone says hare who right and then you don't know what the rest of the sentence was going to be right hare who hefker it could be that the property is ownerless or hare who tzedakah belongs to a charity Right, as opposed to Harehu Allah, it doesn't it's not a given that he's going to be saying this prohibition statement, and therefore it's not a given that it would have been a prohibition at all. Meaning Abai can distinguish between Harehu Allah versus Harehu and acknowledge that there's a an a partial ambiguous statement that would not lead to a binding oath, and there's another partial ambiguous statement that indeed would. Um Okay, and then in this case, right, this break that the Gemara has been citing up above, right, the issue here is that because it's talk, we're talking about a korban, and he's 
essentially treating himself as a korban, meaning the dedication factor of it, right? So then the moment that you're going to be consecrating a korban and a sacrifice with a statement, then then you've done it. Meaning consecration has a a, a finer or a more refined um, threshold for everything, always, right? Meaning the the concern of the risk that you the, a person might afterwards desecrate something that was consecrated or desecrate something that might have been consecrated. So let's be careful because it was consecrated or might have been consecrated is, is quite high, right? So we treat things that are hectic, things that are or are possibly hectic, right? Things that have possibly been dedicated to be a carbon, even if they maybe were not, depending on the language, we're going to treat it more carefully, Um specifically because of this consecration nature. So rather, the Gemara says, let's say this. Why do you have to say alai? Ela alai hu asur mutar. The The question here is, or the refinement of this discussion of the language that one uses to take this particular um, self-prohibiting oath is the difference between prohibited from that object or whether that object is prohibited from the person. And if it's the person who's prohibited, then the statement of a lie only is going to ever apply to that person who made the statement. But if it, you say, who, meaning this item is, uh, you know, again, consecrated, dedicated, forbidden, whatever, right? Then that means that the item, the object, is going to be forbidden even for, as it says here, even for um, for somebody else, right? As opposed to, let's say this more carefully, or let me repeat it in a way that I think maybe is more streamlined. If you prohibit, if a person prohibits an item from themselves, from that person himself, then everybody else can use it, right? It's not consecrated or dedicated beyond. He's just removed his own ability to make use of it. But if somebody says this item is consecrated, dedicated, whatever, then it means that nobody can handle it or make use of it. Um, and again, the concern is, what if that was turned into hektesh, it was consecrated, and God forbid there should be an event of a person using that potentially consecrated item for something that is not the consecrated purpose. The Gemara goes on here, and it says, you know, what if you are saying that I've made an, uh, this this particular animal is going to be dedicated to be an asham, right? That's a, it's going to be a guilt offering, or harezo chatat, it's going to be a sin offering, right? These items, these the animals themselves can be, before being dedicated as a korban, you could direct them to anything, right? To, to whatever the purpose is that you have in mind at that time. But if you just said, um, you know, harezo, you, you haven't did you haven't finished your dedication, right? Um, okay, so I'm gonna just I haven't read it inside. I'm gonna quickly read it inside. If he says, if if a person says this is a sin offering or this is a guilt offering, even if that same person actually needed was obligated to bring a sin offering and a guilt offering, right? He still hasn't said enough. Harezo chatati, harezo ash. He has to make it clear that it's his own korban chatat or his own korban asham. It's not enough to say this is a korban chatat. There's no like outstanding public 
sin offering, right? It has to come from the person. So the phrasing has to be, this is my sin offering. And if you haven't acknowledged that this animal is going to be dedicated as your sin offering, as the person who's making this dedication, then it's not enough and it does, the animal remains unconsecrated. Um, at least that seems to be the case here. And the claim then is that this whole phrasing is again a refutation against a baye to say see you need to have it specific you can't have it be an ambiguous statement if you want it to be binding and of course then the Gemara is going to say well one second a baye could answer amar lach abaye ha-mani rabbi huda hi v'ha-abaye amar anada amri afil rabbi huda hadar Maybe we could say that the Gemara suggests, right, that it's in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda said that an ambiguous statement is not a statement. And the Gemara says, well, hang, hang on. Wasn't it Abai who said that ambiguous statements are statements, even according to Rabbi Yehuda? And the Gemara here answers that he took that back, meaning Abai didn't take back his position that um, ambiguous statements are can be binding. He took back the statement that he thought that Rabbi Yehuda's statement about ambiguous statements um, being binding, and in fact, he agrees, he now acknowledges that Rabbi Yehuda says that ambiguous statements are not valid vows. However, but then you could say, well, let's bring Rava back, right? We haven't seen Rava this whole Amud yet. We said that Rava says that ambiguous statements are not valid, didn't he also take that back? And indeed, he took it back to say it's in accord with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And what about the opinion of Rabbanan? Meaning, he he's acknowledging, Rav is acknowledging, or would have acknowledged, that his view was really lining up with Rabbi Yehuda, and it was not in alignment with Rabbanan, who said that these ambiguous statements, when they're partial, they can indeed be binding. So the Gemara concludes, and with this I'm going to turn it over to you, Yerdena. Amar lach Rava, anad amri afilu Rabbanan, ad kan lo ka amri Rabbanan, delo ba'inan yadayim b'chuchot, ala gabe get, de'ena dam magareshat ish chavero, aval ba'alma ba'inan yadayim b'chuchot. So again, Rabbanan in general say that they do not require there to be the specificity that Rava himself might have wanted, except for in the case of get. Because in the case of get, I'm, I'm, I said it backwards, in the case of get, it doesn't have to be specific because get itself is its own specific context, and that's sufficient. But the Gemara says Baalma, the Rabbanan also did not really um, accept ambiguous ambiguous statements. They needed um, it, they needed it to be specific. They needed a statement or uh, the wording of an oath to be very. Um, defining of the terms for it to be binding. Okay, Yordina, over to you. So I'm going to move on to something on Amud Bed as we continue our discussion about partial declarations. And in typical Gemara fashion, now the Gemara wants to figure out this issue of partial declarations. and Do they apply to other areas in Halakha? So we have uh, two statements, basically, or two other Halakhic scenarios that Rav Papa brings up. By Rav Papa. So Rav Papa asked or inquired, Yesh lad l'kidushin or lo? Are there partial declarations for kidushin or not? Right? So we know that there's basically two steps to a Jewish marriage. We talked a lot about this in Masachi Kedubot, right? There's the kidushin and there's the nisuin. And the kidushin is essentially when the man gives the woman some type of object. Today, we use a ring that has to be worth at least a pruta. Again, we'll go through all of this in Masachet Kedushin. And today, right, says, you are 
betrothed to me. Um, he also can do this with uh, a document um, and uh, or he can, you know, have uh, or they can sexually be together uh, as well. So there are three ways to do the Kedushin. But the question here is, is that, um, uh, you know, does there need to be, if there's going to be the Hare'at Mekudesh at least piece, right, um, you know, can it be with a partial declaration, um, you know, where it's not as, uh, as uh, you know, as specific as the formulation uh, that we actually use today. So that's his question. Hey, Dami, so what would the case be? Let's say it's when someone says to a woman, right? So he says to one woman, you are betrothed to me. And then he turns to another woman and he says, and you too. Because remember at this time, uh, you know, polygamy was allowed, right? So Peshita, so we say it's obvious. This is a Kedush of Kedushin itself. It's actually, it's a full declaration. It's not a partial declaration. Rather, what it is is that when he says to a woman, you're betrothed to me. And he says to another woman who's standing there, right? And you, right? Do we say, right? Do we say, right, that and you too is what he's saying to the other woman? And therefore, the Kedushin takes effect also, in other words, is it enough for him to just say va'at or does he have to say va'at nami? Um, and that's basically the question. Is va'at a partial declaration, but do we say that it takes effect for Kedushin itself? O Dilma, or perhaps va'at chazay amar lelecha right? That when he says, and you, right, it's saying consider the possibility of marriage, right? And what he's saying to her is v'lo tafsi ba'kedushin mechervata, and therefore, the Kedushin doesn't actually take a place, right? In other words, he's saying that, meaning, oh, and you, maybe you'll consider doing Kedushin with me too, but it's not saying, and you also. So that's that's the question, that the formulation of that, it's not clear exactly what it means. Now, the Gemara then wants to actually know, did did Rapapa actually have a question about this? So Mimi Bayele Larava, was he actually asking about this, about partial declarations for Kedushin? Um, and then they bring... A discussion that Rapapa has to Abaye, quoting Shmuel um, about the issue of partial, uh, right, where he says, Savar Shmuel Yadaim Shein Mochichot Havayin Yadaim, that partial declarations of conditions that are inconclusive are actually partial declarations. Um, and so the Gemara basically says, uh, you know, that, you know, says that that was actually concerning an, uh, an opinion of Shmuel that Rapapa spoke about. Uh, with Abaye. Um, so then the Gemara wants to go into a different area of halacha. Bai Rapapa. Rapapa wanted to know, Yeshiad Lepea. Is there partial decoration for the mitzvah of Pea? So remember, the mitzvah of Pea is, is that you essentially um, give your, uh, you know, is the edge. It's basically that you give the edge of the field has to be left as a gift to um, poor people. Okay. And so, if we want to say basically that there's no uh, that there's an issue of partial declarations for kedushin, right? Because again, notice they don't make a link between nedarim and kedushin, right? There's no link that's made. There's no hekesh that's actually made, as opposed to the hekesh that they make between 
Nidarim and Nizirut. What about um, Peah? Okay. What about the issue of Peah? So yesh yad lepeya, oen yad lepeya, right? Is there a validity partial declaration for peya or there isn't? So again, they want to understand what this is saying. Hechidami, ilma leita amar, right? If you say that it's a case, hadin ugiya lahave peya, this patch will be peya, hadin nami, and this one too. Hahi peya So then obviously it's very clear because again, it's adding that word nami. So that's not a partial declaration. Rather, what is Rapapa asking about? In a case where someone says, and this one, the low Amar Nami, he didn't use the word Nami, my, what's the, what's the question there? Okay. Now the Gemara wants to sort of get sidetracked for a little second where it says, right? So this would imply that if somebody said this whole field is it actually could all be Peah. And the Gemara says, yes, that this is actually true. And it quotes a Brisa to prove this. I'm skipping around a little bit. And then the Gemara goes back to what Rav Papa says. And it says, Mi Amrina, right? Do we say, Kevan de'it keish korbanot? Since peya is compared in the Torah itself to korbanot, okay? And they're going to explain what that hekish is. My korbanot, yesh lahem yad, just as korbanot has partial declarations, Yad. So too, Pea also can have partial declarations. O Dilma, Ki Itkish, right? Or we could say that when Pea is compared to, right, has this Hekesh, has this comparison to Korbanot, it's with the issue of Baltacher, which remember we talked about before with Nazir, the idea of not to delay, right? That we don't delay giving Korbanot, so we shouldn't delay giving Pea. So tomorrow we will see what the hekesh will actually be. The hekesh, we'll see that on tomorrow's daf. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, where it says, I guess we'll, we'll just read, uh, we'll read this, where it says, Me'imach, the, the, the Torah says in Devarim chapter 23, verse 22 of you, this is referring to leket shechacha So since this pasuk is talking about peya, in a verse, in a pasuk that's dealing with uh, also nidarim uh, of korbanot, right? So it makes a hekesh between these two, um, but it's not a full hekesh. So the Gemara actually doesn't really come to a conclusion about it, and it, it it's left sort of unresolved, actually. It doesn't actually conclude it. And we'll see in tomorrow's staff that there's also going to be the same discussion of our papa about tzedakah. Can you have a partial one? Um, and also with hefker. So th- this is going to continue on uh, to tomorrow's daf. Um, but it's a typical Gemara conversation, right? The idea is once you're going to introduce the idea of partial declarations, right, where maybe the language is not as specific as it normally would be, here comes along Rav Papa, and he's going to go through a variety of different halachic scenarios and basically ask the question, do we allow partial declarations in these areas of halacha? And I think what's interesting about this concept is, is that we see partial declarations is not a, uh, it's not a klal. It's not a like general rule in halacha. It's actually going to be judged on a case by case basis. Um, and I, that I found to be very interesting. This isn't a general halachic principle. It needs to be explored in each specific case itself.
that's our dot for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hot website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Tom at Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and love.